3: Shop for Father's Day now in stores or online at homedepot.com.
4: Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins, sitting here today, new microphone and all. It's exciting. Anyways, we're uh, episode number 49. I know I always make a big deal out of the episodes because I'm like so close to having a full year of episodes. Once I hit 52, it's going to be a big fucking deal. Not really, but I'll be excited. Anyways... Our guest this week is John Contino from CXXVI Clothing. Uh, He's also an amazing graphic designer. And uh, once you visit his site, you'll be like, Oh, I've seen that. Oh, I've seen that too. Holy shit, I've seen that as well. More on him in a minute. Propertyofzack.com Go visit there. You'll be able to find the latest and most awesome new shit that's out there from new bands, new interviews, interesting perspectives on musical culture... Just do it. I love the site. We love our partnership. Boom. A few other items of business to get out of the way. Review the show. Go to iTunes. And I want to mention someone specifically because, like me, living in the United States of America, I'm not able to see if someone from a different country leaves some nice comment on iTunes because you have to switch stores and all this other shit. But uh, I found a program that enables me to see that stuff. And uh, there's a person from the U.K., His username is Lickety Splat, which is creative, but he just left the nicest thing, and uh, I just really appreciate that. It was basically everything he said was exactly what I want people to get out of the show, which is just, you know, it it fills your soul up. I read it, and it was like, yes, he gets it. That's fucking awesome. Um, So, yeah, go to iTunes. Drop some stars on there. It'll take you like two seconds. You don't have to write nice sentences if you don't want to. That's fine. I get it. We're all really busy. I've left like 10 reviews on iTunes my whole life, so I get it. But uh, if you do it, it just makes the show look that much cooler. And ultimately, that's what will help me continue to make the show, as long as it looks cool. Because the second it doesn't look cool, I'm fucking out of here. (laughs) Not really, but. And then one other little thing I told you, if you've listened to the past few episodes, I've told you that I'll be... Be rating you. It'll probably only be for one other episode, but there's a website called the avclub.com. Great website. You can visit there, see what's up with it. But they do a weekly column on podcasts. And part of it, they do a little new to us section where basically they highlight a podcast they don't regularly review. And I don't expect to get regularly reviewed on this site because they review like all of the most gigantic famous podcasts out there. But I would love it if we were able to sneak into that. So what I need you, the listener, to do is email them. Podmass at avclub.com. I think, you know, 10, 12 of you do this, it will be awesome because they'll start to say, oh, hey, a few people have been hitting us up about this show. So please do that. I will really appreciate it because for whatever reason, I'm fixated on that currently. So yeah, that's it. John Contino. He, I didn't know him at, at all. This conversation was the first conversation I've ever had with him. I've only interacted with him by viewing his website, looking at his design work, and being like, man, it's fucking awesome. Uh, I got first tipped to him by a gentleman named Busky. He used to play bass in a band called Terror, and I've always loved his artwork. And uh, I think he posted something on his blog that basically said, hey, here's some artists that I personally love, and that's how I found out about John. And uh, I had no idea that he was really sort of an independent music-slash-hardcore kid. And then you'll come to here in our conversation where we just, oh, it's totally late-90s metalcore talk. And I apologize for those of you who give don't give two shits about that. That's totally fine. But the lessons that he does lay out in this show are great. Basically, anybody that works in a creative field, you will totally love what John has to say, the advice he has to give, And it's just really cool because you can do it on your own. Fuck what anybody else says, you can do it on your own. Pick it up, learn it. If there's something that you're curious about, figure it out yourself. That's how anybody who, you know, that's involved in the DIY independent culture, that's what you do. You're like, oh, I want to learn about this, so I'm just going to do it. I'm going to suck at it for a long time, but then all of a sudden I'll get it and I'll be somewhat proficient or maybe even awesome at it. Um, So yeah, we talk about hustle and how much work that actually takes to learn shit uh like i said a lot of late 90s metalcore talk and then growing up with responsibility just kind of having adulthood thrust upon you for various reasons and also a big congratulations to him because he just had a kid like weeks ago we did this interview uh and you'll probably i think that we mentioned it at some point where uh, we talk about, you know, having a kid. He's, like, now a father, and, like, uh, baby's, like, maybe a month old. So congratulations to John. Here's my conversation with him, and enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, because usually I start these things off with just like how I personally kind of found out about, you know, your your creative output, so to speak, Mm -hmm. was uh, I don't know if you know uh, that that dude, uh, Busky. Let's see. I don't think you do. Um, He's just trying to think he used to play in terror. He was the bassist in terror.
2: Oh yeah. Okay. Sure,
4: sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like he. So he's a fellow designer, and I think he works at that merch company, Bravado, or something. In oh, area.
2: holy shit! I follow that guy on like Instagram or 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 Tumblr or something, and I couldn't place where I knew him from. But he was like, all his posts and stuff reference all these old hardcore bands that I knew from when I was younger. You know.
4: Yeah. No, for sure. And like he I can't remember, because I, I used to work at, the, at Century Media, the label that Terror was on for a bit. Yeah, sure, sure. So I got to know him pretty well and was like always loved his art or whatever. Anyway, so he did a post one day, I was like, "Oh, here's artists that I'm like super into currently." Um, and he posted you. And then I just, I, it's one of those things I love when I like kind of open a door and I'm like, holy shit, there's this amazing world <laughs> I wasn't aware of before. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and then it was even funnier where obviously I know you are a user of the music streaming service RDO mm-hmm. and it was super random. Cause then I was just like rifling through playlists. Like this was months ago. I subscribed to the playlist you put together of like early, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, like metalcore nice (laughs) it it was so funny because then like i didn't realize i didn't like i had no connection to you i was just like oh this is a fucking good playlist and then literally like two days ago i was like oh shit that's john like that's (laughs) anyways the the moral of my story is the fact that like if you've been involved in like punk or hardcore or whatever you were like half a person removed from everybody like oh, just, absolutely. Absolutely. And do you, So, like, do you find that still to this day where it's just, like, people you start to work with that do random, like, freelance jobs or whatever? Like, once you kind of find out you're part of the club, it's like, oh, you were that dude or you were, you know, going to shows the same time I was. It's
2: such a sick thing. I mean, here's an example for you. Um, Last night, I was just kind of, like, I was just kind of messing around, like, waiting to, you know, hopefully, you know, be called upstairs because my wife was going into labor. So I was just... Just totally killing time, you know right, so I opened up a SoundCloud account and just started uploading all these demos from like back in the day, and uh, one of the bands was called Maybe Tomorrow that used to play. they were from like eastern Long Island uh-huh. and when I did uh, my my Apple event in Soho uh, a couple of weeks ago, the guy who runs all the apple event um, all the Apple events in that store was like the singer or the guitarist of that band. Oh. And we just sit we were just sitting there and he's like, Yeah, yeah. He was like, I was actually one of your band's shows when we decided that we were gonna make a band. And I was like, oh my God, that's so weird. Right. That's
4: it makes me happy though, because obviously it's like, you know, we've all been drawn to this community. And like no you know, people obviously do a million different things with their lives, but it's like somehow like you always get kind of pulled back in to where it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, especially if you're into the creative field. It's like right you just always find people where it's like, "Oh, cool. You've been able to make a living doing this and like you still kind of, you know, go to shows. You still kind of care about it and it's, it's Right, awesome. right. It's totally awesome. So, uh without without getting too far ahead, so you I presume with obviously how uh your your accent portrays yourself. Um you were, <laughs> you were you were you were born and raised in the uh the 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 New York Long Island area?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every yeah, yeah. I mean, my family's like the typical kind of like um, Italian immigrant kind of story, you know. Uh, came over here in the early nineteen hundreds, and then kind of spread out from the Lower East Side into Brooklyn and Queens, Long Island, Staten Island, the Bronx, that whole kind of thing, you know.
4: Right, right. So they did they did they have some amazing uh immigration stories?
2: Uh, no, you know my my great grandparents, I, I knew them, uh-huh. but um. They, I was too young to really kind of suck up any of that stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, I kind of miss it. All the stories that I get now from like my grandfather, from like uh, all, all the my grandfather, my uncles, and stuff, all the stuff they used to do like back in the day, like you know, old Brooklyn and like the 30s and the 40s, and stealing potatoes and and like uh, you know, lighting fires on the street, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff.
4: <laughs> I know it's so, and it's so funny when like. You hear those things, and it's like obviously you see them portrayed in movies, and like we have a sense of it, but it's like that's so fucking insane like know, it's, it's I insane
2: I know really because
4: yes. <laughs> it's like i look at like you know I look at the the type of lives that you know most of us live, and it's just like it, it scares me to one point because it's like i mean i'm speaking for me personally it's like you know i don't know i'm not a I'm not a crafty or a handy guy like I don't know how to fix shit like that's just yeah, me. Yeah. and so. Yeah,
3: right.
4: <laughs> I, I worry where I'm just like, oh, man, like, is our whole culture missing something now? Because, like, yeah, I know how to do shit with computers, but, like, <laughs> where does that leave me? I know.
2: I know. It's true. I mean, it's a different world. I mean, my, well, my grandfather, my grandfather was a, an interesting case because, I mean, he grew up in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the kind of stuff that you would, you would imagine, all the kick the can, all the kind of, you know, like, right. stealing food kind of stuff that you would imagine that kids in the 30s and the 40s would do. Um, but he, um, he, he, he put himself through college and uh, he became an engineer and worked on, uh, he, he worked with like Bell Laboratories and, and all those companies, um, 9x and whoever, you know, I think that all those companies kind of eventually turned into Verizon, but mm-hmm. he, he worked on the development, I think, of uh, Unix. I think. Oh, shit. It, yeah. So that was like all that stuff that they started doing then when he worked there. And he worked on, like, the development of that, like, way, way, way back when, like, maybe in the 60s or so. Wow.
4: Yeah, where computers were, you know, the the size of, like, seven
2: rooms. Right, right, exactly, exactly. He would, you know, he would, like, write code and stuff by hand, you know? That's amazing. (laughs) Isn't that crazy?
4: (laughs) I know. It's just so – it's just awesome to think of that and to be able to be like, all right, well, obviously one day, like, you know, our kids are going to look back and be like – Dude, like so fucking outdated what they were doing. It's
3: crazy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> uh,
4: um and so you're uh you you have brothers and sisters, right? Yeah, I have I got I have two bro two younger brothers. Okay, yeah. And I know I know that uh, I mean you've been very open about, you know, the your your brother having down syndrome and like obviously mm-hmm. that. He's younger than you?
2: Yeah, he's um he's about like uh <sighs> Probably like 16 months younger than me, you know, oh, okay. like I was, I was born in the beginning of 83. He was born at the end of 84.
4: Oh, got it. Um, yeah. and so that like, I mean, obviously like you were, uh, you know, you were experiencing a different childhood in regards to the way that you were watching your brother grow up. Like when did, when did that sort of manifest itself? I'm just so interested in it because it's such a, uh, obviously it's such a tough disease, but when a person is able to kind of come out the other side of it, like, like your brother, from what I understand yeah. has um yeah so like yeah when did it manifest itself and you started to notice that like maybe this isn't normal or whatever
2: oh man i'll, I'll tell you man right away because um when he was born he had a lot of heart issues mm-hmm. um so he had open heart surgery like within the first year he was alive it was a specific type that i don't think had been successfully completed uh many times if at all up until that point so it was like really experimental too wow um but uh, you know, he pulled through, and and uh, we were we always had like a really close bond, you know, because my grandparents would bring me to the hospital and my parents would be there, you know, and I would stand there while he was. I mean, he was just like white, you right. know, like no color, no nothing. So it was it was definitely it was it was tough, but uh, um, once he pulled through, then it was just you know I didn't know any better. I was I was only you know barely two years older than him, so right. I just grow up getting used to that and then it wasn't until maybe i guess late at, like late elementary years like middle school years when i realized it wasn't kind of the same as everybody else you know
4: yeah 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 the context, like what obviously whatever the context you're raised in like that's normal until someone else tells you it's not normal
2: right and i mean like when you see your friends like hanging out after school or going to do this and going to do that like my parents had to work uh both of them full time because you know the hospital bills were crazy it wasn't you know it wasn't an easy thing. So I'd be home, you know, at like 10 years old, 11 years old, you know, going straight home to to make sure that I was with him in case anything happened. Cause you know, he wasn't able to articulate exactly, you know, if, if he was feeling sick or if it was this or that or whatever. So I had to kind of be there and, and wait it out. So there's a lot of things that, you know, I didn't really kind of experience. And I, I would see that as you kind of got into those awkward teen years, you know, when everyone's hanging out and doing this and smoking cigarettes and right. getting all that stuff you know so i i kind of missed out on that
4: yeah well it's <laughs> that i mean the, obviously it's awesome that you were able to you know be there for him your parents had to you know what were they doing for work your parents
2: uh well my father was uh my father was a truck driver for Stelladoro cookies out of the bronx and he worked construction on the side okay so he he was he was working two jobs which eventually just he ended up just starting his own uh, contracting business after that, mm-hmm. and my mom, um, she did a bunch of stuff. She 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 did whatever she could to help out. She had um, a few office jobs, things like that. She would babysit, sure, uh, just you know that kind of stuff to just make sure that there was you know enough to kind of take care of all the stuff that we needed. Yeah, no,
4: for sure. She she was hustling.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, big time. I mean, my whole family is like super hustlers. You know, like. That's just, I mean, that's, that's how I was raised. I mean, really, really hardworking, really, you know, um, dedicated to, to family and to, you know, making sure that everything was okay. So it was good. It was good to grow up around. You were
4: obviously given a sense of responsibility before you knew what that word even meant. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <Not a> doubt. <laughs> And so, uh, so yeah, as you, as you started to grow up and start to enter, like, you know, obviously high school is kind of the jumping off point where people start to be able to make their own choices or whatever. So how, you know, what, what sort of kid would you define yourself as? Art was always an important part of your life. Um, so did you find yourself like the dude in the corner drawing pictures or where, <laughs> or were you playing sports? Like, what did you, where did you find yourself?
2: No, it's funny, you know, um I was a I was a like a serious, serious jock little kid. You know, I played all the sports, I was really into baseball, I was like I was pretty good too, you know. I was really, really into it. Mm-hmm. And then when I started hitting those like kind of early teen years, like getting it like ten, eleven, twelve, I started kind of realizing how things were. Um and I just developed like a massive, massive you know, sense of nervousness and anxiety. And it kind of pulled me out of the whole sports world because I would just start, you know, I'd freak out about all sorts of things. It's like, oh my God, you know, what what if this happens? What if that happens? Because all of a sudden I'm old enough to like realize, Uh you know, Uh what, what happened when I was younger. So all those things started to manifest, I guess. And then I, um,
4: wait, so like you were, you were, your anxiety from playing sports was derived from like, you were anxious about like, like winning losing games or like was it just no
2: no it was more it was more or less um the the anxiety started to come about like you know honestly I don't even know the root of it but it was definitely had to do with the fact that uh you know how sick my brother was when he was a kid and then I started to like understand the concept of hospitals and and, uh, it's like getting injured or whatever yeah yeah so then I started I was like well what happens if I get you know, I get sick on the field or something happens and I got to go to the hospital or, you know, something where it's like you're supposed to just be enjoying yourself and, and something bad could happen at any moment. I for some reason, I just like started focusing on those kinds of things. And my anxiety levels were just like outrageous.
4: Right. How, how did you so like did how did it manifest itself? Like, you know, did you kind of just like, you know, run off the field or whatever? Or like, oh, I can't I can't go up to bat
2: right now. Well, I, I stuck it out. I played like my last you know, I played like my last season, you know whatever, and then it was really starting to get bad, and then I tried the year after, and I think it was like the first or second practice i got I had gotten moved up to the uh, age level after me mm-hmm. because I, I was pretty good when I was a kid, so they moved me up and then I started you know all the pressure and everything I started getting really anxious about it so within the first couple of practices, I just I didn't know how to deal with it, so i uh, I stopped then. Uh. And was kind of like trying to figure out what to do with myself because that was you know I I had drawn all my life but that wasn't really what I identified my myself with when I was a kid Mm
4: -hmm. I was more like you know I was like
2: shortstop you know that's what
4: I was when I was a kid so yeah obviously I can you can see exactly where it comes from it's like you had to be responsible at early age so therefore you were completely cognizant of like dude like I could get like hit In the head of the baseball or something like, and I wouldn't be able to, you know, not only would I be screwed, but my brother would be screwed, my family would be screwed, like.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's all sorts of little things. I mean, there was, I mean, you know, I saw kids get hit in the head. I got hit in the mouth a bunch of times, you know, like all sorts of stupid. I mean, yeah, someone like hit me in the head with a bat once. It wasn't like a hard hit, but it was hard enough to be like, oh, man, if that was harder, I could have been in serious trouble. Yeah. yeah. So, like, there's, I mean, all sorts of weird stuff that happens. I see, You know, like, you see, like, kids slide and they break their leg or something, you know, because yeah. it happens.
4: Totally, but- totally. But, yeah, because you didn't, <laughs> you weren't afforded the fact that you couldn't, or you had to care about that. You couldn't just be like a kid, but whatever, dude.
3: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We're sitting here. It's like June, and you're like, where has the time gone? And everybody's like, oh my gosh, I have no idea. I gotta like accomplish all these other things. Take a moment, focus on the things that obviously, for one, matter to you. But for two, look back, be like, what have I done well? What have I done not so well? And maybe I can, you know, ask some friends and family for some help. But where I have always gone to in regards to figuring out what I can do better therapy. Therapy is an incredible tool at your arsenal that you can dip into. I've done it for my marriage. I've done it for myself personally, and I'm a huge advocate for what therapy can do for you because it is a third party that's able to look at what you can do to improve your life and be a person to help you along in your journey. And so I think if you were thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and entirely suited to your schedule all you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with licensed therapist, and then boom, you're done. It's great. And then if you're not vibing with the therapist, you can switch it at no additional cost. So take a moment, reflect on the things you've done, reflect on the things you want to do, and visit betterhelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp.com help, slash Ray.
1: at Edu.
2: yeah 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 exactly because it was like i like you know like when you're a kid and you're just like jumping off trees and climbing shit you, you think like you know whatever happens i'll be fine yeah. but i had witnessed you know what happens if, if you're not fine and it's it was scary
4: yeah i know well that's yeah that's i can completely attach those two things and completely understand where you're coming from <laughs> so then as you tr- started transitioning to high school um Well, it was even
2: before that. When I I was in middle school is when I started to kind of get a little bit more introverted because I was always very outgoing. Mm -hmm. So I started trying to figure out new things to get interested in and new ways to kind of deal with it because I started getting like social anxiety from it and all sorts of annoying stuff. So um, then I kind of went back to art and started drawing more and getting more into music. And then that's when I started kind of learning more about hardcore and metal and stuff like that from, you know... friends and friends, older brothers who were in bands. Uh-huh. And by the time high school rolled around, I was already pretty, pretty deep into like just hardcore in general. Right. Playing in bands and going to shows all over the place. And then, you know, and then once I started getting into that, then it was like, it was the same thing as playing a game, you know, because then you're, you're in front of a bunch of people, you know, you're, you're in the spotlight. So then I started getting those feelings again, but except, except this time I kind of, figure out how to deal with them a little bit and how to kind of cope with them. So it kind of came back around. And then that's when I, I kind of started going back to my normal self, except um, now I had more art. I had music and I had all these, you know, new and different friends and all these different experiences that came from it. Interesting. Yeah.
4: So basically through, uh, through music, you were able to obviously not only find, you know, a sense of identity, but it was able to kind of push you past the anxiety you were experiencing.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially when you get up there when you're a kid. I mean, I started playing hardcore shows when I was maybe fourteen or fifteen. I I'd get my my parents would drive me in a station wagon with my drums and my friends, and we'd set up, and everyone else there would be like eighteen or in their twenties, or and some of them even in their thirties. Right, you know. Um, and then we'd have to get up on stage and there'd be, you know, 50, 100 kids sitting there waiting for us to play and you couldn't mess up, you know?
4: Right. Right. I, I, it's so funny. The whole, like, I started playing bands when I was like 16, 17, but yeah. I think it, honestly, it's something I think that's so inherent to New York in general, where it's like, you know, obviously you go back to, you know, late eighties hardcore and it's like, you know, you hear about, you know, Sammy from youth of today. Like he was like 14, you know, when he started playing youth of today. Yeah, exactly that really doesn't exist in many other parts of the country. It's like usually you have to wait until, you know, like 15, 16, like have that level of independence. But just because like maybe it's just a level of trust in New York where they're just like, oh, yeah, like I can drop my kids off. I know it'll be okay. Like,
2: God, you know, I don't even know, man. I think it's just I don't even know if it's trust. I think it's just like, you know, my dad would always talk about like the difference between like book smarts and street smarts and stuff like that, you know, and I was always very aware of you know if you're out on the street you you watch the people who are walking around you. you don't do anything stupid, you don't talk to people who you shouldn't be talking to all that kind of thing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think that learning that really helped you know my parents trust me more when I was younger to you know they would drop me off you know in like all these random spots in the city or in Queens or wherever, and just like be like, "All right, let us know when you're done, and you know we'll come and get you and you know who knows i mean this is like, but the first show I ever played was this place in uh, Bayside, Queens, called Voodoo Lounge. And that place got shut down because someone got stabbed in the head.
4: A- <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, that's a, uh, and, again, that's so typical of New York. You're like, oh, yeah, that, ha- that happens.
2: <laughs> I, mean, that's, I mean, that's, you know, it could have happened anywhere. It could have happened at any time. But that's, yeah. that's the type of place you were in. Sometimes bad stuff happens.
4: So what pulled you toward um, drums and, like, was music – a part of your life? Like, you know, did your parents introduce you to it and kind of grow up with a love with it? Or was it only because, you know, your friends and, uh, you know, older brother's friends were kind of into that stuff that sort of intro introed you into independent music?
2: Well, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I definitely grew up with a creative family, you know, and when I was younger, my parents always really had, they they always really loved music. They always had music on. I was always really into it. You know, They they bought me like a little drum set, a little guitar, and I would always kind of, Play around and my mom's brother was a was a drummer actually in a, a Rush cover band. Oh my god, that's amazing! Yeah, he was a really good drummer, so I he started teaching me how to play the drums when I was uh, about nine or ten. So I started learning when I was real, real young and I got really into it because it was just one of those things where you could create something that just sounded really cool. You could let aggression out and it, everything was like all OK, you know.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So I, I got into it. I got into a real, real serious because I would then I started listening to Rush. I started getting into like really technical drumming. And then then through that, I kind of discovered more of like the heavier stuff and Anything that had really fast drums or lots of double bass or anything like that, I, I just gravitated towards immediately because it was, you know, really high energy and really intense and, and really difficult to master. And I, I got real into it.
4: Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I definitely see, you know, kids, especially when they're intro to like music, like they either go one of two ways where it's like one. They're drawn to like the technical aspect of it because that's just impressive. <laughs> or it's like either they're just like the you know the message and the simplicity behind like you know whatever punk or whatever style of music you get into. It's awesome that you were like progressive metal. That sounds like the way I need to go. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And so <laughs> you're what band was that with? Because usually the first bands that you play in they have to have a terrible name.
2: Oh, uh, the first. Well, <laughs> the very first band I ever played played in with my friend Mike. He was my this, this kid, Mike, was my lifelong friend. We met when we were three years old in nursery school, and we've been friends ever since, and we played in every band together. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the very first band was pretty much like a weird, like Nirvana meets, you know, Bad Metallica meets really uh, basic hardcore ripoff band, and it was, called, it was called Euphoria at the time. We were maybe like 10 or 11. Holy shit. And the first real band we played in was called Fight to Survive, and that was that was a hardcore band that we started uh, probably around. I'm going to say maybe 14 or 15 years old. Okay,
4: that that, that name is like, that's not obviously it's not the best name ever, but that's not terrible. Like you know that
2: it wasn't that bad. I mean, we spent a lot of time trying to come up with names. we were all like you know because you know like what hardcore band names were all back in the day. Like it was always just like army inspired or right. <laughs> anti-police inspired or anything that's just right like that anarchy kind of basic nonsense
4: your first like band we're actually gonna like play a show it's like such a it's so, so torturous to find that name you're just wow. like god what are we gonna do
2: awful it really was and well you know what the thing was too is uh back then a lot of bands had um the way that you would talk about bands was with their initials like we were huge fans of of vod and we were like we want to be like because. They get to use the initials. It's like vision disorder VOD. We we want a band where we can just say the initials of it. You know,
4: that's perfect. I like that.
2: So we're like, oh, it's got to be at least three words, so we can be like FTS. You know, and everyone hears FTS and they know it's fight to survive. (laughs) That's I love that. That's awesome. (laughs) You were like, you just took that direct inspiration and like, this is what we're doing. Oh yeah, I mean that's 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 how it comes down to it's like it's it's like what, what's the nickname? Like what what is the logo going to look like? What is it going to look like on a t-shirt? Like how are you going to like draw it on a wall or like carve it into a desk? Yeah. That's what we were thinking of, you know?
4: Is that when you started to kind of, uh, you know, like, did you do art for the band and stuff like that?
2: So much. Yeah, it was great. It was the perfect outlet for it. Um, And at that time is, I started teaching myself Photoshop. I started learning more and more about design. I started kind of going out there and seeking, you know, just design in general so I could learn more about it. And around that time is when I actually started freelancing, you know, and doing my first professional work. Like I was doing a lot of you know logos and and demo covers and flyers and t-shirt designs for all the bands um and then i was doing you know really really terrible websites for local businesses and i was like 14 years old that's amazing so you
4: were doing websites on like angel fire and stuff like that okay (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So, like, what bands were you kind of cutting your teeth with as far as, like, you know, that were, I mean, obviously, like you mentioned Vision of Disorder. What else is, like, what, what shows were you going to around that time? Like, what was the, you know, other sort of inspirations as you were you know, growing within that scene?
2: Well, I had always, the thing that was tough about me was that I was into that progressive kind of stuff from learning, you know, rush drumming from my uncle. Right. Um, and I was really into the heavier metal side of stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I was never into the old school stuff i was always into the more new school hardcore so sure um, luckily like long island and queens had a lot of that mm-hmm. so i was into you know like vod sky came falling oh. uh incision, irate Swan enemy um oh, man, like all the really like the tougher stuff the kind of crazy sounding stuff sure or like
4: stuff one, one stuff started to transition you know once like metalcore started to become a thing
2: yeah yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the, and there was all those bands that were like pre-metalcore, metalcore, yeah. you know, that had like that, that metal influence, but, but were still hardcore bands, and in between songs would still preach about unity and all that garbage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> obviously, in seeing how you've progressed with your, you know, your art and your career from that perspective, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, you know that designers come from, you know, all walks of life, but... Like nothing is more like you said, that nothing is more fertile and easy to kind of like understand how to like create art than like a music scene. And I always get my mind always gets blown when it's someone like, you know, is a great designer and they've got no connection to any of that, like any music at all or any scene or any community. It's just like, oh, yeah, i like to create art. And It's like, right. Where'd you come from? Like, it's crazy
2: right right exactly exactly
4: (laughs) and so as you like were you a good student in high school or is it one of those things you just kind of like went just to go
2: no 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 i was actually i was like in all honors classes i had like all a pluses and all that you know
4: (laughs) nice and did you do that kind of for your parents or was it for yourself like you were really wanted to kind of better yourself from that perspective
2: I never studied or anything man it was just one of those things that came natural
4: yeah th- those and all those kids look at you and you're just like that fucking john always gets a's <laughs> on tests
2: well i was like the only kid in like the honors classes that had uh really big t-shirts and ripped jeans and stuff that said like you know brutal uncompromising hardcore you know, this <laughs> kind of stuff all well, the other kids were kind of a little bit more on the i guess the more clean cut side or you know, there was that there was that little crew that we had that uh we had going on. And and luckily like in my high school too there was a lot of uh older kids that were in really good hardcore bands too. So it was uh it was kind of cool. Like I mean it didn't even matter like what classes you were in or what you were doing cuz you had those like older kids to kind of look up to. And high school was just like a place to be with you know until you went out and played shows or practiced or you know talked about what bands were about, you know.
4: Right, right. How did you how did your parents begin to react to, i mean obviously like you said they were dropping off to shows and stuff like that but did they you know were they worried about you were they were like dude john is getting in with a fucking weird crew of people
2: i don't think so because i a lot of the guys that used to play with us even the older guys were really really nice guys i mean you know like you got into especially like i really like the tough guy hardcore you know right. like and there was always fights but it wasn't fights with each other it was fights with like outsiders right you know so, I mean, even sometimes, like, my mom would, would drop me off sometimes, and she would she made friends with, like, one of the doormen that was always at uh, this place, Castle Heights, that we used to play in. And, like, some of the older guys would talk to my parents and be like, oh, blah, 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 you know, like, they would... they my I think my parents knew that, you know, at that point, I was at least smart enough to not surround myself with problems, mm-hmm. you know? And the guys that, that we did look up to at the time... I mean, they were our favorite bands, but they were also really good dudes, and we were the kids, so they, they kind of looked out for us. And if there was anything, you know, any problems, they were always there to kind of help out, which was great. So we didn't really have, like, that, like, kind of uh, old, like, old, like, back-in-the-day hardcore, like, punk gutter, you know, trashy, everyone's kind of, like, mean-to-each-other kind of vibe. It was, pretty, it was pretty good.
4: Yeah, that's well, that's cool. And obviously it obviously made, it made your parents trust what you were involved in and just be like, oh, no, he, like, he's taken care of. He'll be
2: okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's as much as they could anyway. You know, I'm still like in a in a bar in the middle of Jackson Heights. You know, <laughs> right. don't push it too far.
4: You know, there, there's kids within the scene that obviously, you know, they're go the sort of you know straight edge, not partying route, and then there's obviously kids that go the you know the rattyer route, route. And I, I always picture, even though New York City has always had like a, a vibrant straight edge scene, it always seems like there is a more you know like let's party contingent. Like, yeah. were you were you surrounded by that, or were you interested in that, or did that something that you just kind of like turned away from?
2: Um, I, you know, I I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, I never have. Um, and I was. I was never into that whole thing and there was definitely some straight edge kids and stuff around, but a lot of the guys that I hang out with were, I mean, it was basic. It was just kind of like drinking beers kind of thing, you know, like nothing, nothing too crazy. Just right. your typical kind of teenage, you know, or early twenties, kind of mentality, nothing, you know, no, like, like heavy duty partying.
4: No, no, no one was pulling out white powder and is like, Whoa, what's this?
2: No, 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 no. I mean, it was just, it was just beers, you know, it was nothing, nothing crazy. I mean, you never even saw anyone really pull out like weed or anything ever. It was just like a bunch of guys getting drunk and playing sloppy hardcore. Right, 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 right. You know,
3: (laughs) a good old time.
2: (laughs) I mean, and, but there were like the vegan straight edge kids, like the earth crisis, you know, of course, kids, some of those kids were okay the other ones maybe took it a little too far but everyone kind of understood their place i think within that community yeah and you know everyone kind of let everyone else be
4: that's good that's good yeah, it's yeah. you need strength and diversity you know um and so as you as you started to kind of you know transition out of high school and like where did you want to be like all right i want to be a ba- i want to be in a band i want to tour in a band like that's my thing or was it you know did you have other aspirations from that perspective
2: well, I mean, as soon as I really started understanding what design was is when I really started wanting a career in it. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to just do music packaging. Like I wanted that to be my life. But I knew that being in a band would also help me get to that point. So if I could work hard in a band and get to a point where more people knew me and more pe- I made more friends and – you know, we toured a little bit and got to meet people. Then I would be able to get more work out of it too. I was kind of, I was kind of more interested in it for that aspect. Mm-hmm. The band Fight to Survive ended up. We broke up at the end of at the end of high school because half the band went away to school and the other half stayed home. Right. So, so uh, my friend Mike and I started a new band that was called The Ambition, and we played. It was very metalcore, like Prayer for Cleansing, oh, kind yeah. of cleanse. You know, like, Pray for Cleansing, Poison the Well, early 2000s kind of uh, metal-infused hardcore. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did that, and we ended up playing a lot, and and we got to a decent point. Like, we were were signed to a small label that ended up, you know, like, some of the bands that were on there were like, Black Dahlia Murder was on it. Um, What label was it? It was called Love Lost Records. Oh, yeah, no, I remember that label. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. We were on that label for a little while, and we tried to set up a tour with one of the bands um, out of North Carolina uh, called Quell, mm-hmm. and they were kind of – we were really friendly with them. They were really nice dudes, really kind of
4: like chaotic. Dude, they put out – They uh, Quell ended up putting out – because my old band was on a label called Goodfellow Records, and Goodfellow put out yeah.
2: – yeah. Good- that label was awesome, by the way.
4: Dude, good. Yeah, I, play, I played in a band called Taken, and we put out like an uh, EP and a, and a full length on Goodfellow. Actually, no, two EPs and a full length. So. Wow,
2: that's I didn't know you were in Taken because I remember back in like early 2000s, Taken in our neck of the woods was like, everyone was like, oh, have you heard this band? Have you heard this band?
4: We definitely played good shows up in your area. I definitely remember.
2: Taken had such a buzz going for it. You know, I was like, who is this band?
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, and it was funny because, like, obviously that was kind of the advent of, like, you know, the internet existed, but it wasn't, like, as pervasive as it is now. So it's, like, the bands that were on opposite coasts, you had to kind of wait to get into. Yeah,
2: oh, totally. I mean, the closest thing we had was mp3.com.
4: Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, which was, like, fucking huge. Like, that was, like, a godsend when that came along.
2: When mp3.com came around is when I think I heard Seven Angels, Seven... Seven Plagues for the first time. Yeah, yeah. In this day, that's, I always call Evergreen Terrace uh, the mp3.com band because I feel like they got all of their hype from mp3.com.
4: Dude, for sure. It's just, as, <laughs> just, as, just as much as bands, like, you know, years later can be called a MySpace band. Like, they're totally an mp3.com band. That's perfect. <laughs> we, play, we played a few shows up in uh, that area. Like, we played the
2: Backstreet Blues, I think. Oh Yeah, yeah totally. We got bands from Backstreet Blues. Oh, what did you do? Because we, um, we were like, you know, like we were, we were like the tough guys or whatever. So all of our friends that came. And by that point is when you, you started seeing like that crossover of like emo kids and new metal kids and hardcore kids and metalcore kids, like all kind of going to the same shows. Mm -hmm. And it just started getting really bad at that time. And all of our friends were like Queens and Long Island kids. And if anyone did anything out of line, it would immediately turn into
0: a fight. Right.
1: Let's create.
2: So we would just play shows and go around, and we got banned from playing there because uh, the, our crowd that we brought was just, like, too rowdy. Right. We just wanted nothing to do with it.
4: Yeah, no, that, 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 was, such a, that was such a weird club, too. They had, didn't they, have, they had mirrors on either the ceiling or the walls. I just remember it being a really weird venue.
2: Yeah, it was in a basement. It yeah. was in a basement. It was like an old, like, jazz club kind of thing. That yeah, was
4: that's train it. Train station. Because I I think every person that gets into design, because usually you've got one dude in the band that is into that because obviously it makes it cheap for the band. They don't need to hire somebody to do their T-shirt designs or whatever. Exactly, yeah. But I I think it's awesome that you had the foresight to be like, all right, my band is going to get me work and vice versa. Right. I just like that sort of planning, where it's like, yeah, this is this this is what's going to work out.
2: Yeah, it was just like one of those things, man. Like, at a certain point, like toward the very beginning of college or the end of high school, I was introduced to Asterix Studios. Oh yeah, and I was in love with their website. It was like, um, it was like a godsend, you know. It's like everything they had was just incredible music packaging, and I was just so obsessed. And that's like one of the when they split off when they split off to make invisible creature mm-hmm. i was like I, these guys they don't even have to do any work they're already like legends like they can just put up a website and i'll still say that they're the best studio around
4: yeah yeah obviously especially with independent music design was important but you didn't really recognize consistency in people like you know you just oh here's a layout that's cool but right, exactly they definitely you know the the clark brothers were definitely the first that i recall as well where it was like you actually paid attention well i think between them. And obviously, Jake Bannon from Converge,
2: right? Exactly. Exactly.
4: Those were the first dudes where you were just like, "Oh wow!" Like they do like their artwork is consistent and consistently good. And
2: well, like J- Jacob Bannon, I mean, I, I almost feel like he defined a style. Yeah. You know, that whole like like the opposite of December cover, where it was like this collage style and this uh these different kinds of colors and these different fonts and everything. Like it almost kind of it, it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, you know, between Jake Bannon, the Clark Brothers. And like Derek Hess. No, oh, that's
4: true. That's true, Derek Hess. So,
2: yeah, I was sold, man. I was like, this is what I need to be doing.
4: Yeah, and that's that's awesome that you you're able to attach yourself to something and be like, I see, I see where they're at. I want to achieve that in some small fashion.
2: Right. Exactly. Exactly.
4: You didn't go to college, or you were um, just kind of trying to do the band and freelance stuff. Yeah. No, I did. I went
2: to college, and I worked, and I did the band, and I freelanced. So. I was like, I mean, that's that's how I've always been, you know. I just do a million things at once. I can't. I need to. I need to be active twenty four hours a day, you know. But when I went to college, I went to I went to a local school. Like, I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to leave home because I liked where I was. And that's kind of like a curse of like a lot of Long Island kids is that they never leave. So I didn't really want to leave at the time, even though there was like cool stuff out there for me to do. I I just. I was, you know, I was kind of a homebody. I liked, I had all my places, all my spots, all the, you know, I knew everybody and I was comfortable. So I went to, I went to a local college and um, they, uh, I I made really good friends with all the art department. I, I, you know, I majored in graphic design and stuff, but I had been doing it for so long that my teachers kind of let me kind of do my own thing. I would freelance and get graded on it instead of doing the school projects, you know, because I didn't. I was already past a lot of that stuff. So it was kind of um it was kind of a cool experience. I got to talk to my teachers more about business and production as opposed to learning the basics. So they would they it was great because they would they would kind of treat me more like I was past that stage of foundation learning. I, I got I got such a different education than most of the other kids that were there because I had already known, you know, like what going into pre-production was like. I had already known what billing was like, and I had already known what like dealing with clients was like. So I was able to talk to them more about that kind of stuff. That's that's amazing. That
4: I hearing what you did and what you went through, like it just gets me so stoked because like I, you know, I mean, I know that you do speaking engagements to kids and stuff like that, and I think like the most valuable lesson that can be passed on to kids in high school or even you know in junior high is like you don't need to wait for your quote unquote life to begin. Like you can do shit now. Like get, right. into, get into it now. There's nothing right. holding t- you back.
2: Exactly. I totally agree. I mean, I couldn't, I just couldn't wait. You know, I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it when I wanted to do it. So I just started. Mm-hmm. And the, the great thing about the computer was is that there was more instant gratification with that, you know, yeah. like so you could type out a font. You could, make a shape and fill the color. You didn't have to sit there and paint the color in. You didn't have to sit there and, you know, that's, that's kind of where once I learned about that, you know, I really started to uh, appreciate what could be done with it, you know, because one of the things that I always hated about art when I was a kid was how long a lot of it took. Like I had a vision, I wanted the vision to happen. But then after, you know, halfway through, you know, a couple hours deep, I just got sick of it. I was like, I'm sick of coloring in these shapes. I'm sick of doing this, doing that. And, you know, I'm sick of sharpening the colored pencils and going, <laughs> right. you know, I just got tired of it. And then when I learned about how, how easy the computer could make it in terms of, you know, time, I was, I was all over it.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, so, that's so awesome. You're like, yo... I don't have the fucking patience for this. I need to get this spilled out on paper immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I mean, as you well know, since you freelance for so long, like freelancing sucks. Like, yeah, has totally. your main source of I mean, there's nothing wrong, like you're saying with like, you know, you're a hustler and you've no problem doing that. But it's like comes into the consideration where it's just like, all right, like once you have a relationship and like, you know, right. how long how long have you been married?
1: Uh, about
2: three and a half years
4: now. Okay. Yeah. And like, once that obviously starts to enter the picture of like, oh man, like I'm, I'm responsible for someone besides like the food that's on my plate. Yeah, Uh, that's true. You know, how, how did you kind of wrestle in your own mind the past where it's like, or the path of, all right, I maybe should try to get a, you know, whatever full-time design gig. Cause I I know you had one for, for a while. Um, Yeah. Versus like, all right, like I really need to build something on my own.
2: When I, when I graduated college, You know, they have they have like the senior show and all that shit. And I had done a few projects that were I got paid for. You know, I did I did a great I you know, I did some great album work. I did some poster work and I I hung them up and there was a local studio that came by and they said, you know, we want you to work on some T-shirt designs for us. Come by the studio, whatever. I was like, okay cool. So I, I put on my suit and I bring my portfolio and I walk in there. Thinking, you know, I don't know what a design studio is like. So I walk in there thinking it's like a business meeting. Mm -hmm. And it's just a couple of guys in like shorts and a t-shirt in a room. And they're doing websites and doing all this stuff. And their work was actually pretty terrible. And I remember looking at them and saying, you know, my work is a million times better than this. How come I'm not doing this? I could have their work. I could be making more money than them. I walked out of there and decided that I was going to freelance right away. Right. Right i graduated I graduated college and went straight into freelancing and then it turns out that I did not have the discipline I didn't have the resources I couldn't do it after a couple of months. I threw in the towel and I went and I worked someplace else
4: mm-hmm.
2: then i I got a call from my friend Matt he actually we started CXXVI together mm-hmm. but he called me and he said, "Hey, the place I'm working at is uh tiring you should You should come in and take this job so I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went in there and I interviewed and I took the job. And the way that that environment was set up, it was like it was a bunch of young guys and the majority of the business was a print brokering business, but we also did design on the side. And the way it worked was that since we were doing print brokering and design, all the design had to be done faster than you could imagine. Like, you, It had to be good and it had to be fast. Mm-hmm. So I learned, I thought I was fast before then, but I had to learn speed and you know um discipline and and just kind of like how to get ideas out of my head as quickly as possible. And uh Matt and I to this day still call that place design boot camp.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome.
2: It trained us to get shit done fast and well. So after that I was, you know, I I had learned a lot about business. You know, I become really friendly with the owner and we we had a lot of talks about it. And, uh, you know, I went out and I started my own studio and then, and then soon after Matt came in and he, and, and he worked with me, we, st- we did the studio for a while and then we started the clothing company for a while and the clothing company afforded me the chance to kind of do the work that I wanted to do. Um, and then once I started getting some recognition for the designs that I was doing for CXXVI, um, I started getting more freelance jobs and I started getting, you know, attention from the type of clients I had always wanted attention from. Mm-hmm my wife and I had just gotten married at that point and we were broke. Like, I mean, as broke as you could be. And, um, I, I, <laughs> I asked her, I was like, can I take a couple thousand dollars out of our wedding present, you know, fund and buy a new computer and, and try this freelancing thing again full time. And I was, I was really nervous cause that was like a big thing to ask of her. she was like, yeah, go for it. And I was like, I promise I'll pay it back. She's like, just do what you have to do. So she was really supportive of it, which was great. And uh, I went out, I I bought an iMac and I sat down and I started messing around. And uh, it's ever since then, I've been I've been going at it full time. And now um, now the clothing company is licensed and it's, you know, it's it's not a headache for me anymore. I design and I creative direct, but, you know, I don't have to worry about production and sales and all that. And I just freelance full time now. Yeah, and it's, it's so much better now that I've been through all the different types of hells that you could, you know, think of as a design professional because now I know what to avoid and I know what kind of, um, what kind of attitude it takes to, to get work done and, you know, how to make X amount of dollars to survive, how to make this amount to save and, you know, how to keep clients and how to keep, keep the, the portfolio growing.
4: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you, you, all you did was just basically piece together all of the bits that you learned over the years and be like, all right, like, I know how to not fuck up so badly anymore. Right, exactly. exactly. I mean, the the idea of a clothing company, like to say there's a lot of competition out there is like an understatement. Everybody has a fucking clothing company. Like mm-hmm. not not illegitimizing the work that you do. Plus the definition of a clothing company is definitely um very small because a person can open up, you know, a big cartel page and have three shirts and they have a clothing company.
2: Well totally. I I, I totally agree with you because if that wasn't the case then I wouldn't have ever opened a clothing company. Right. Oh so it's just oh, this asshole can do it why can't i i love
4: i love your attitude for everything where it's just like dude look at this fucking jerk over here i can totally i can do better
2: than him (laughs) (laughs) yeah one of those things always i I battle you know like when you're younger you think you're invincible and you think you're so great at everything and and then and then you know you get a dose of reality and you come back to earth and it's just one of those things that's like a constant roller coaster it's like well at this point in my life i'm so much better than this guy i should be better than him and then, you know, you get to a certain point and then you are better than that person and someone else comes along and knocks you right back down and, and you go, oh, wow, I'm, you know, I'm not that good. I really need to keep working,
0: you know?
4: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. It's like that. It, it's good that obviously the barrier to entry is low in regards to that. But, you know, you want to make sure that the stuff you're putting out there isn't just like super regurgitated, which like I, that's what I think is cool about the design aesthetic that you put forward where it. um it's interesting because it's like it's so it can be applied to anything like you know you obviously have worked for you know very large corporate clients um and then obviously all the way down to you know like doing a doing a show poster for thrice you know um Mm -hmm. it's just cool that you're able to kind of apply that aesthetic and still like retain who you are because like that's always the balance of like art art and commerce where it's like right and like you know Have you, have you been like, let me put it this way. Have you been approached by like, you know, certain companies where they've wanted you to do a certain thing and it's kind of like, Oh, this makes me feel uncomfortable, but I'll still do it because I can get my voice across. Or is that, is that a thought process that you're going through?
2: There's a few things that, you know, especially working with bigger corporate jobs, there's a few things that'll come across and you'll have to think about whether or not you want to um, follow through with it. You know, there's there's the one where someone will ask you to do something that's not necessarily your voice. There's the one where someone will kind of do something for something you necessarily don't agree with. Where do I want to draw the line? Mm -hmm. You know, like I've had like I don't drink, you know, but like half of my clients are all alcohol related. That kind of thing. It's just like, well, I have the ability to do something cool. Um, I'm not doing anything that directly harms anyone. It's it's people can make their own decisions and, uh, and that's, that's kind of the way I look at that kind of stuff. And then there's the, then there's the clients that say, you know, we want you to do a design for this, you know, but we want you to do it in this style. Do I look at this as a challenge to do something different? Or is this something that's just not me and I'm just going to lose my voice in and they might as well just, you know, hire anyone else to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like you're going to have to weigh your options and think about once the project is finished, how you're going to look and how you're going to be perceived. Is it done? Am I going to be proud of it? And, you know, are people going to come to my website and look at it and be like, wow, this was great? Or, oh, my God, I can't only imagine how much he got paid to do something this much not in his style. You yeah. know what I mean, yeah. So it's, I, I try to be as true to myself as possible, especially since, you know, when I started the design studio years ago, I really tried to do everything. You know, I tried to make everybody happy. I tried to do any style that anyone wanted. And it turns out, I mean, no one, no one wants someone who can do everything in that, in that sense, you know, people come to you because you do one thing and do one thing well. And that's, and that's kind of the attitude I've had over the past few years, because I've seen the stuff that I've done where I've tried to, you know, please everyone. And the stuff that I've done to try and please everyone might be great, but the only president who's not pleased in that is me. And then, then then what's the point of me even doing this? Yeah. You know, I, I got into this because it's something I love and something I enjoy. So I, I look at it as a way where if I can put my voice into it, if I can put, you know, my heart into everything and my ideas and my experiences in life, that's even better than anything I can imagine. I really don't care, you know, what the payment is for that. It's something that I've always dreamed about doing. And it's, if I have that opportunity, I'll take it, you know.
4: Yeah, no, I, I like that attitude. When when people are creating authentic art, I really do think it's a trend within pop culture where people, you know, are, are looking for honesty. Like, even if you're, you know, a gigantic corporation, they're trying to become more transparent or be cool. Or I mean, obviously, corporations have always tried to become cool, but... <laughs> yeah the idea of authenticity and how like people crave it at this point, and so doing stuff that you know might be not typical is what people might be drawn to and it's like yeah, if people are approaching you in the first place, you have to assume that they've for one have an understanding of your aesthetic, and right. uh for two, like that you you know you would be able to come at it from your place as opposed to like,
2: oh hey, can you design something like Shepherd Ferry? <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And that kind of thing has happened to me before, too. You know, I mean, nowadays it doesn't happen as often, but every now and again, you get like that, you know, art buyer who's not familiar with you. And, and someone suggested, you know, it's like, oh, let's I want to work with John. Let's, you know, let's get him on this project. And the art buyer has a different idea, you know, and it's like conflicting thoughts. And they'll they'll reference work of yours and, and then I'll produce and they'll say, OK, now clean it up and do a vector version. And it's just like, well, that doesn't even make sense based on, you know, the brief, based on the idea, based on who I am. It's just like, what are you what are you looking at? You know, right. But I mean, luckily, for me, I've been doing this long and I I've been doing this 16 years now, you know, like I've been doing this long enough where I can just say, you know, that's that's not me. I'm sorry. You know, I can recommend some people that can do that. Great for you. But that's not me. And I'm not interested in it, you know.
4: Right, right. You're able to, you're able to weed through that pretty quickly
2: as opposed to like, you know, wasting your time on something. Exactly. I mean, I've been through enough good clients, enough bad clients to know when something is going to go the way of making me miserable, you know, and I just try to (laughs) avoid that as much as possible. Maybe it's just because I've been
4: surrounded by people that, you know, do create art because I myself don't, you know, I'm not talented from that perspective, but like I always get so frustrated in hearing people give feedback to artists it's it's the fucking worst like for me it's always like when i look at something it's either black or white i either like it or i don't right I'm not like, oh, maybe if that's gray, it would look better. It's like, right, right. Not the, I'm not the <laughs> fucking professional. They put that there for a reason. But yeah, like, right, exactly. yeah, hearing people nitpick shit, just like, I mean, you know, obviously if it drives me crazy, I'm sure you're just like, I can't even wrap my head around this feedback that you're giving me.
2: Oh, yeah, it's brutal. It's just like, where are you coming from with this? What's the idea? You know, and that, and that's also kind of where you draw the line of what type of person or what type of businessman you're going to be. You know, are you going to tell this person to go fuck themselves and, and get lost and don't ever talk to me again? or you're going to be like you know try to help them understand it and if not let them down gently you know like where that you kind of kind of learn who you are in in a business sense in those types of situations you know because when things are good you just you take the praise and you take the the checks and you're you're happy you know but when they're not good, then you kind of really see, you know, what type of person you are. Yeah, dude, I, I think that's a it's
4: such an important point. You you learn obviously so much more from either your failures, your trials. You learn so much more from that than obviously like, it's easy to be quote unquote successful. It's easy to do stuff that comes easy to you. Like <laughs> right, 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 exactly, exactly.
3: <laughs>
4: well, John, I really appreciate you hanging out, and yeah, obviously we uh, we covered a lot of ground. I appreciate you laying it all out there, man. So there you go. That's John Contino. I just love the fact that I've never spoken to this dude before. I hit him up online. He was like, Yeah, let's do an interview. And then him and I are just like bros now. Music. So amazing. Just pulls people together. You have that common thread to pull on. And then once you have, it's like, Oh, great. We probably did a lot of the same stuff. We've lived nowhere near each other. And yeah, it was just amazing. So. Check out John's work. Uh, just Google John Contino and you'll be able to find his website and you can see all the awesome stuff that he does. And his clothing line is also incredible. And you will be able to find that like any urban outfitters. So yeah, check it out. Support the supportive property Speaking of supportive, go check out that site and visit 100 wordspodcastcom I share stuff throughout the week that I find that is fun. And I think that you should be informed about check all that stuff out. And until next week, Be safe, everybody.
3: The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference.